So I came across a New York Times article this week uh, telling the story of a young Christian who was trying to get out of jury duty. And he told the court that he was part of an organization that uh, just forbade him from passing judgment on anyone. He told the court, judge not lest you be judged. Well, the judge leaned over and said, Jesus also said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. (laughs) And I am Caesar, right? (laughs) We've been looking together at the beautiful nose of Jesus, not his beautiful nose, the things Jesus says no to, the things he tells us not to do in light of the gospel, the things our lives should be free from once we've tasted grace. And so far, we've seen how Jesus says no to worry. No, your life can now be free from stress, free from anxiety, free from these types of fears. Last week, we saw how Jesus says no to doubt. We don't need to feel ashamed for for our doubts, but instead can work through them and find that they serve as a, a gateway to greater, deeper faith. Our lives can be free of these things once we have tasted his grace. Well, this week, we come to another beautiful no As Jesus tells us, verse 1, to judge not. Judge not. Let's walk through this text together. Verse 1, we see it there, uh, very clear, very plain, is it not? Jesus saying to to his people and to us, judge not. And don't we like the sound of that? Especially in this culture, this is a very popular passage, a very popular verse. We like the idea, yeah, don't judge people. You shouldn't, don't, you know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, but let's not judge each other. You know, uh, this, is a, this is a popular verse in the scriptures. Judge not until we realize how much we all judge other people. How much we all judge other people. Calvin says, these words are intended to cure a disease which appears natural to us all. He continues, this vice is attended, judging people, is attended by some strange enjoyment, for there is hardly any person who is not tickled with the desire of inquiring into other people's faults. See, in principle, we're against judging other people, but in practice, we quite enjoy it. Now, you may be one of these people who's kind of loud about it, will spout off their opinion and make sure everyone knows. Or you may be one of these people who does it more quietly, you know, just kind of go, uh-huh, mental note, I see you, I see what's happening there, right? But very often we, we judge people and we enjoy it. Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel better about ourselves. So as we're thinking about our own self-evaluation and we're looking around and comparing ourselves to people, some people, you know, sometimes we'll like to, to boast and make ourselves look better than others by comparison. But the other tactic is to judge and tear them down in order to make ourselves look better by comparison. We all fall into judging. We all, in a sense, enjoy it. Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Now, I was thinking this week, I was just, and, and, and wondering... How self-aware am I about, about how I do this? And I wonder how self-aware you are about, about how, how do you judge other people? What do you judge other people for? I asked our staff this question and they came up with, you ready? Nine things. Number one, uh, this is a good one in this town, uh, punctuality. Are you one of these people that gives the look of death to someone who walks in five minutes late? Or are you one of those people who always walks in five minutes late so judges the people who like to be on time, right? And number two, finances. Can you believe how much they spent on that? 
Can you believe how much they spent on that car, on that house, on those clothes? Can, you know, I, I, I would never spend so much on that. Why? Because I'm a better person than they are, right? Three, <laughs> driving, right? Uh, we even have the horn of judgment, right? Um, use it frequently. Uh, number four, parenting. Isn't this a great one? Um, parents, we're all neurotic and insecure and deeply fearful that we're doing a terrible job in screwing up our kids. So to try and mask that, I'm just going to judge you on how you're parenting, right? So my kids would, ne- I would never watch my kids, let my kids watch that movie. I just can't believe it. I can't believe that you do that. Or I can't believe that you don't let your kids watch that movie. Like what is wrong? You know, like we, we judge one way or the other. Um, five, general abilities, kind of looking at a colleague perhaps and thinking, you know, they just... They're doing their best. God bless them. But they just don't really have what it takes. You know? Um, you know he's a really good guy, but... Right? Uh, Number six. This is a big one. Appearance. Appearance. Um, can you believe what she wore to that event? Can you believe what she wore to work, to church, to party, to wherever? I would never do that. Number seven. Now we're stepping on everyone's toes. Uh, religion. Religion. We judge people about religion. Christians, we judge other Christians because we don't think their religion's as good as ours. Uh, especially in the Reformed camp. So this, uh, we are, in this church, we have Reformed doctrine, which basically means we're pretty sure our theology is better than everyone else's, right? And there can be a lot of pride in that and a lot of arrogance in that and a lot of repentance that needs to flow from that. Worse, judging those who don't know the Lord. Judging those who don't know the Lord. Never judge someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Uh, Tell me one person that ever came to faith because you condemned them, right? And our faith is not about behavior modification, as if our goal is for other people just to behave more nicely. No, our faith is about introducing people to Jesus. And only once you know Jesus does your behavior start to change. We judge people in the name of religion. Eight, race. Let's lean into this one for a moment. Isn't it interesting that in our culture, um, racism is rightly, hear me say rightly, bold it, underline it, italicized, rightly vilified in our culture. <laughs> the challenge is that it has now become one of those sins that nobody can admit they're guilty of. That the social pressure to admit that there's the seed of racism uh, in, within your heart has, has become too great. Our, our culture, it's, it's very interesting to me, our culture doesn't know grace, and so it can't bear the weight of sin. If something is gross, we just have to deny that it's a problem. We can't actually look at it and, and, in a sense, deal with it. Whereas, in reality, we would say there isn't a single sin that we are free from. <laughs> and so racism, like all sin, exists within our heart, and is this the sin that we are guilty of. Put it this way, perhaps more palatably, there isn't a person alive who doesn't think that we and our tribe are in some ways better than those people over there. Now that plays out in a lot of different ways. It might play out in the black-white tension we're seeing in our nation. It might play out more subtly with a kind of America versus another country uh, sort of distinction. It might play out with a Scotland versus England distinction. Yeah, There's a thousand ways in which we might think our tribe is better than another. But for us, when it comes to race, we want to recognize that progress begins, progress begins when we see where our prejudice exists. That we might repent and find healing. Yes, racism is an issue that 
that we judge about. Lastly, number nine. Uh, can you guess what's number nine? What haven't I said? Politics, right? Politics. Let's lean into this one too. I actually think this election gives us a marvelous opportunity precisely because it's so crazy, right? Uh, precisely because it's so crazy. The opportunity for us to be a people of conviction and a people of civility, because I'm not seeing that combination a whole lot in our culture just now. A people of conviction, yes, have an opinion, defend your case, seek to persuade others, do it. Civility, don't speak poorly of those who have been made in God's image. Uh, It reminded me this week of James chapter 3. The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers. These things ought not to be so. James is saying, hey, we just, we're in worship. We just sang some songs together. Together we stood and sang glorious and mighty. Don't use that same tongue to go home and curse people that are made in the image of God. He's saying grace changes everything and not just while you're at church. This command to not judge is true when you're sitting in the pew, but you know what? It's still going to be true when you get to the parking lot. And it's still going to be true when you make it home. And it's even going to be true when you get on social media. Right? Uh, We're called not to judge in all these circles. And politics gives us a a challenge to not speak so ill of those who have been made in the image of God. So my last three, religion, race, politics... It's like I'm trying to get fired or never get invited to any dinner party ever, right? Um, But these are the things that we do. These are the things that we tend to judge other people about. What do you tend to judge people for? Do any of those nine resonate with you or perhaps perhaps there's something else that comes to mind? Judging other people is a disease which appears natural to us all. We do it and we enjoy it. We do it in a wide variety of ways. But Jesus says, don't. Judge not. It's a beautiful no. Well, okay, we say Jesus. But why? Why? Judging other people seems natural and it's kind of fun. So why shouldn't we do it? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons. Let's look together at verses 1 through 5. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Judge not because it's not good for you to judge. It's not good for you to judge. See it there? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's not good for you to judge other people because if you judge, you will be judged. Now, I think this is true on, on two levels. First of all, I think it's true just amongst the, the community of people here. That If you judge other people, it's very likely that they will then judge you. If you speak ill of others, it's very likely that when those people get wind of it, they're going to speak ill of you. Don't expect people to treat you with a greater kindness than you're prepared to treat them. Uh, Jesus will say it a little later on in verse 12, uh, the golden rule, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Yes, you'll be judged by other people if you're a judgmental person. Secondly, though, it's true on that spiritual plane as well, is it not? As Jesus makes clear that if you judge other people, God will judge you. You may escape the judgment of men, but none of us will escape the judgment of God. So, Imagine the scene with me, okay? Uh, It's the end of time. And you're sitting in the waiting room uh, to be called in before God's throne room, 
right? And you're kind of nervous, and your name is called, and, and, and in you go. And he's sitting because God is sit. He always sits because he's in charge. Uh, you're standing, but your, your knees uh, are knocking. You're feeling nervous. You're feeling afraid. And he pulls out the record of your life, opens the first page. How do you want him to judge you? You're thinking, <laughs> uh, with grace, with forgiveness. You're crying out for mercy. You're not crying out for justice. But just at that point, God reaches over and from behind your ear, remember how your uncle would produce a penny, right? From behind your ear, he produces a tape recorder. And he says, huh, yeah, this invisible tape recorder has actually been with you since the day of your birth. But it only clicked on when you judged other people. It only clicked on when you judged other people. So this is a, the record of the ways that you judged other people. Now listen, I'm not going to judge you according to my word. Perfection is a really high, high bar. I'm just going to judge you by your own standards. I'm just going to judge you by how you've judged other people. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's play the tape. Right? At that point, how are you going to wish you'd judge people? You are going to wish that you had judged not, right? Or, if at all, with mercy, with forgiveness, with great grace. And Jesus is saying that's how we should judge other people now. Again, he sums it up in verse 12 by saying, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. It's not good for us to judge. If we judge others, we'll find that that judgment comes back to us. Secondly, though, Jesus says, pressing in um, kind of firmly, as, as is his, his tendency, uh, we shouldn't judge because, uh, don't judge because um, we have no right to. We have no right to. Look at his illustration in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? Isn't this uh, fascinating? Jesus is using, he's using a, a carpenter's illustration. He's preaching as a man who knew what it was like to have sawdust in his eyes. And he says to us uh, how quick we are to focus on the faults of others. How quick and easy it is for us to condemn others. It's almost like we look for opportunities to do it. Uh, the word he uses in verse 3 for why do you see the speck is a term that means to gaze intently. Why are you looking intently for the problem with the other, and then exaggerating what you find. You make a big deal out of the small speck that you see there. How quick we are to focus on the faults of others, and yet at the same time, how quick we are to ignore our own failings. Now, the illustration Jesus uses is sometimes so familiar to us that I think we kind of miss the humor of it. He's saying, you're complaining about the speck in the brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye, a tree a beam. When you come in the room, people have to duck, right? <laughs> and then you're complaining to them about their problems. Um, this, this is a ridiculous scenario, Jesus is, is saying. And he's trying to highlight that to us with the language that he's using. So he says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Isn't that, isn't that a terrible thing to be called? <laughs> you hypocrite. If you're not in if you were more in touch with your own failings, you'd be slower to condemn, Jesus says. We have an MPC member in prison just now, 
and I was speaking to him about the prospect of, of this jail time before he went in and he was just really um, devastated and, and humbled and, and broken by this experience. Guess who he's judging just now? No one. Guess who in this room is better than he is? <laughs> no one. And if that bothers you, if, if, if it bothers you when I stand up and say you're no better than someone that's in prison, you might have a log in your eye. Right? when we're in touch with our brokenness when we're in touch with our own sin when we're in touch with our own failings we don't judge anyone and Jesus says don't judge you have no right to you've got enough of your own mess to worry about so where are we at We've said judging people is a disease which appears natural to us all. We've said we do it and enjoy it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We've said, well, Jesus says don't do it because it's not good for us and we've got no right to do it. Is that the end of the sermon? Amen. Let's go home a few minutes early. Well, our culture would say yes. (laughs) Our culture would say, yeah, that's great. Again, you know, you do what you do, I'll do what I do, let's all leave each other alone. But Jesus isn't quite quite done yet. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite, he says, first. Now, when Jesus says first, we're expecting a second, right? First, take the log out of your own eye. Do that. And then, or second, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. First, deal with your mess. Then, you'll see clearly in order to help other people with theirs. We're not meant to be blind, of course, to the reality of sin and brokenness in our own lives. We're to see it. We're to face up to it. We're to deal with it. Then, from this place of repentance with a posture of humility, we are to move toward each other and help each other with the things that we're struggling with. The Christian life isn't one of splendid isolation. The Christian life isn't one where I do what I want to do and you do what you want to do and we all just live and let live. No, the Christian life is one where we live together. We live together. We're, in a sense, responsible for each other. Now, in our day of kind of rabid individualism, this is sometimes hard for us to get our arms around. But we believe as a church family, and if you're new with us, we want you to know that you've come to a church family where we feel responsible for each other, where we care about each other, where we want to celebrate when things go well, where we want to weep together when things go badly, where we want to navigate this life like one family. So Jesus says, first deal with your mess, then help your brother. With repentance and humility, it's not judgmental to challenge someone you love if they're not following Christ. In fact, that's a loving thing to do. We have people in our church uh, who have knives and they cut people. They cut people. They knock you out and they lie you on a table and they cut you open and they leave you with bruising and stitches and weeks of recovery. And when they're done, the cancer is gone and you live. And challenging a friend when they're not following Christ is like surgery for the soul. Surgery for the soul. And we all need people who are prepared to speak up into our lives and do that for us. The problem with being blind to your sin is is what? You're often blind to it. (laughs) You don't see it. Why don't you see? Because you've got a big log in your eye. And so sometimes you need a friend, a loved one, to come to you and help you see 
where you are struggling. So as we close, more than one application from this text. Let me give you three, three takeaways and try and think which, which of these applies most directly to me. First of all, yeah, as the text has been very clear and overt about, takeaway number one, maybe you do need to stop judging someone. Maybe you do need to stop judging someone. Maybe you've become a kind of critical, negative person and you need the work of grace to bring lightness to your soul. So you'll no longer be, I mean, difficult to live with, but also damaging to yourself. Commit to a better way where you look to deal with your own sin before seeking to help others with theirs. Maybe, yeah, one, you do need to stop judging other people. Is that you this morning? Um, Or maybe, number two, it's not so much that you need to stop judging someone, it's that you need to start helping someone. You need to start helping someone. Don't use this verse as an excuse to be passive toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, you see something that's wrong, and like the young Christian before the court, you say, well, Jesus said, judge not. Well, yeah, he did. But then he also said, help those who are struggling. James 5, verse 20, know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Deal with your mess first, yes, but then have the courage to speak up. So often, as a pastor, we find that by the time troubles and difficulties come to us, there's such a mess that, humanly speaking, they'll never be fixed. We aren't kept on the right path through these kind of dramatic interventions on the back end. We're kept on the right path when, as a loving community, we shepherd one another as we go, keeping each other on the right path. Is there someone that you need to have a bit of courage and, and, and speak, speak up to this week? Perhaps, perhaps that does describe you. So one, maybe you need to stop judging. Two, maybe you need to start helping someone. Or three, um, maybe you need to start listening to someone. If someone has had the courage to speak up into your life, maybe you need to start listening to them. Has someone called you out recently? Has someone challenged you on something recently? Don't use this as a verse as an excuse to write them off. Well, they shouldn't judge. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right about the thing that they've brought up with you. And through the imperfect voice of the one who called you out, you can hear the perfect voice of the God who calls you home. None of us respond well to being challenged, but we need the humility to listen. And and maybe that describes you this morning. So, what have we seen? We've seen that the gospel presents this, this really compelling vision of life. Compelling because it's free from judgment, but it's full of authentic care. Where do we get the power to live such a life? Let's pray together as we move towards the table. Father, we are uh, grateful for Jesus' straightforward and direct manner, for the way in which he doesn't beat about the bush, but just tells it as it is. And for this text that would call us not to judge, we we recognize we do, and (laughs) we recognize that we're even quite creative about it. But we want to put that away, Lord. We want to put that away so that we wouldn't be a a judgmental community, but would be a community that seeks to deal with our own struggles in order that we might lean in and help others with theirs. So, Lord, um, whatever bucket we find ourselves in, whether we need to judge less, whether we need the courage to speak up, or whether we need the humility to listen, 
Would you give us the grace we need to do that through the one this table points us to? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.